We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. It is our Sunday baseball conversation with Colin Brister coming at you on a Monday. Ole Miss loses two of three to Texas A&M to close out the regular season. The Rebels finish the year at 14 and 16. We got into, are they for sure into the NCAA tournament? What we saw from the weekend, the fight on Thursday night, Ole Miss's first round in, or SEC tournament matchup with Vanderbilt and a whole lot of other stuff, how to put this season into context, what it means, and where we think this team actually is and who they are heading into the postseason in terms of their capabilities of making a run. So a lot of different stuff, good uh, good long conversation about the uh, the regular season, the wrap-up, and uh, hopefully uh, a little bit more baseball to go from a content perspective. So a lot of stuff to get to today. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're into wagering, you need to check these guys out. Plain and simple. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, and they're going to lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain. You don't want the bookie texting you on Sunday night, Monday morning, adding to the scaries already. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox is going to help you do that more consistently than anyone else within the industry. Whether that's month-long, season-long, they're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. They're crushing it in NASCAR right now. Got the NBA playoffs rolling. Why well, don't uh, try out a little taste test to Skybox before football season? That'll be here before you know it. But all kinds of different stuff going on at Skybox right now. I became a NASCAR guy over the weekend that I detailed on the podcast. Um, and guess what Skybox did? They went plus 13.95 units over the weekend in Skybox. Could you have used that this weekend? I think you could have. You need to check these guys out. Whatever sport you're into, they're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. When you get there, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase you make. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Go check them out. Let them know we sent you. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling season. Summer's here. Grilling season is upon us. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Go check him out at LB's. He's got all kinds of different, different 
delicious cuts, fresh seafood, sausages. LB's is truly a special place in Mississippi and absolutely the best place in the world to get meat. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister on the end of Ole Miss's 2022 regular season and the outlook from here. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. This is our normal Sunday baseball conversation. Ole Miss drops two of three to Texas A&M in uh, what was a very offensive series in a lot of ways. Ole Miss's yeah. pitching faltered what, for the first time, it felt like in about a month or so, like really kind of put them behind the eight ball in terms of chances to win. But uh, an interesting series, and Ole Miss finishes at 14 and 16 to SEC play. We'll get into that. We'll get into their NCAA tournament chances. We'll get into, you know, kind of around the SEC where they stand as far as Hoover. And uh, definitely preview the matchup at Hoover, too. We kind of have a lot to get to. This is kind of that end-of-the-season crunch um, where they finish the season and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, Hoover's on Tuesday. Um, without that said, what's up? Uh, definitely uh, Ole Miss's pitching was definitely offensive. You could, uh, you could say that. It, it made my stomach churn at points. Um, no, it's kind of a weird series just all the way around. Um, look, I think Ole Miss did what they had to do to give themselves a good shot to make the NCAA tournament. Like you said, we'll, we'll discuss their chances and whatnot. But, um, I, look, they needed to avoid getting swept for sure. If they they'd gotten swept, they would have had to go to Hoover to do work. Um, now, they can go to Hoover, and if they lose, it's not 100% that they're in. Definitely not. Um, but I'd say 75-ish, maybe. Um, maybe that's a little high, but I, but I feel pretty confident even with a loss, especially considering it's the number five RPI team or whatever event it is. I think it's five tonight. Um, I think they'd still be in, uh, barring a barrage of upset. So, uh, definitely a weird series, though. Just kind of started off that way on Thursday. I actually went on Thursday night and um, just, yeah, that, that, I think weird is the first perfect way to encapsulate all three games. Yeah, and Delusia wasn't very good to start. And even despite that, it so was, let me let me ask you, was his fastball flat? Because I, I was there, I couldn't see. Did it, did it look like it had the movement that it usually does? Um, I don't think it was just the fastball. It seemed like everything was flat, honestly. Um, and it, it you know his fastball was definitely flat, but it seemed like some of the a couple of the uh, off speed stuff he threw and a couple of his breaking balls didn't quite seem to have the same bend and bite to it. So yeah, the fastball was flat too. But I didn't really think I. Uh, I didn't really think a whole lot else was sharp either. Um, he just kind of seemed flat from a stuff standpoint in general. Yeah, that's that's kind of what you're probably going to get on, what, five, four days rest after throwing two days in a row. Um, and and make, make no mistake, Ole Miss needed to do exactly what they did with Dylan Belushi and Baton Rouge last week. But uh, that's the price you pay when uh, when you bring him have to bring him back that quickly. The good news is he, he doesn't throw that many pitches and will probably be good and rested for Tuesday. Yeah, I was about to say if you want to, if you would like to uh, spin zone that loss, Dylan Delucia only threw thirty-one pitches. So I don't know in terms of his, uh, in terms of his, his workload over the past month or so, this guy's just going to be a spry chicken in terms of rest. So there you go. Wait, well, wasn't it, wasn't it in the fifties? I thought it was, I thought he got in the. Oh 50s. shoot, I I can't read today. You're right. It's fifty thirty-one would have been absurd given that he went any into those skills over on. Sorry, <laughs> fifty-seven pitches. He threw thirty-one strikes. Still, the point remains just uh, not quite the same. Sure. He fifty-seven pitches when he's you know gone across him to throwing basically one hundred and ten, one hundred and twelve uh, per outing. But you're exactly yeah. right. He's definitely not thirty-one pitches through an inning and two thirds. But uh, I guess if you want to spin zone it, he might be fresh. Fresher. Yeah, I think he. So so. 
I had to listen to the game yesterday, and, and DK said something interesting, and I don't know if it was if it came from Bianco or, or who it came from, but DK said something along the lines of, and Dylan DeLucia may be available today. And I don't know if he was just thinking, hey, he didn't throw that many pitches on Thursday, or if that was a thing that uh, he had been told. I honestly, I really have no idea what to do with that. Like, I, I, I would, I would, I don't know. Maybe he was told that. That's really interesting. I wouldn't also, I wouldn't see DK just going out on his uh, own and being like, you know, hey, I think he's probably available if he didn't know something. But at the same time, that seems kind of asinine, given what you need potentially need to do Tuesday, which we'll get up to in a minute. I just, I mean, yeah, I guess I, I, I don't guess know. There's two sides to it, right? If you get into a four-four game, which it wasn't on Saturday. Um, and you know, you need your best chance to win the game, I guess, maybe, but I, I couldn't see that. Yeah, it may be one of those things well, where, it, of course, Mike or whoever it was that DK talked to is like, don't rule it out, but it probably wasn't happening. Yeah, I mean, if it was six to four and you just needed three outs to give it to Brandon Johnson, um, sure, but at no point passed about the fifth inning, uh, on Saturday to almost look like they were going to win that baseball game. Well, yeah, that's another part of it, too. And there's a couple places we could start. Why don't we uh, – Why don't? I'd we... like to start with John Gaddis throwing it, old buddy. All right, fine. I was going to say start about – that's probably <laughs> a more linear way to get to it. I was going to say let's just start with what everyone's thinking with, like, in terms of uh, them getting into the NCAA tournament. But we can uh, – Sure. Let's go through the week. Let's go through the weekend first, and then we'll get to uh, – We'll get to the NCAA tournament part. Yeah, Thursday, how, what, just an absolutely wild contest. So Ole Miss gets down seven to nothing. Um, I think only, what, three of those runs were earned or four of them earned? Three, only three of them were yeah. earned. Yeah. But there's context that's required in that, right? Like, yes, Leatherwood botches the play and right, but there were some loud outs. There was, look, it's seven runs, only three earned, but Delusia probably earned about six of them, five of them somewhere in there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Probably some yeah. context required when it comes to that. Point is, Ole Miss did not play well to start the game, but that's also the other part of it. If you're not, you know, if you're not bad defensively, you know, you can get away with your pitcher being bad and you kind of scraping out of it. You know what I mean? Like in terms, of, like we talked, I know we talked about last week and a lot about Ole Miss kind of punished their opponent at the plate for the first time and um, capitalized on their mistakes. Kind of the inverse of that defensively, and this team has been bad at times defensively, is not pitching it well, but getting out of it by making routine plays when they hit it hard at you, and Ole Miss didn't do that either. So, like, I don't want to let Delusha off the hook, but at the same time, I don't want to let the defensive gaps off the hook either, if that makes sense. No, no, it was it was definitely a, a mutual effort. Um, I just – I guess my point was, like, yeah, he should have been out of the inning but his stat line should not have read that he only gave up three earned runs, if that makes sense, because oh, they, they were bashing the ball all over the place. So they get, what did you think of Thursday's game? Because I, it felt like kind of a, a deflating, like the air was deflated out of the balloon a little bit, because I know everyone went into the weekend thinking, okay, one win, you know, you're probably in uh, two, you really get, particularly in the first two games, you kind of give yourself a chance at hosting. And I know that's kind of, you know, However realistic it was, I feel like that's where everyone in minds has gone, or a lot of fans' minds had gone just because of how well Ole Miss had played in the two weeks prior. So that felt a bit deflating. But in terms of just the sheer baseball game itself, I just thought Ole Miss played bad for about two and a half, three innings and just lost a baseball game. Like, I, I didn't necessarily think Thursday was any sort of indictment or reflection of reverting back to some of the, um, you know, 
lethargic baseball and terrible habits they had had for the season's first two months. I was actually kind of encouraged that they – look, it wasn't a perfect offense. Yeah. So I was actually kind of encouraged, like, okay, they put a three-spot back. They got down seven to nothing, and it felt like they had a chance to win the game throughout it until about the eighth inning is what I'll get at in terms of it looking different still. Well, well, my thing was, man, like, they go down seven to nothing. Um, and four weeks ago, if that was Mississippi State, I'd been in that stadium on Thursday night. They'd been down seven to nothing. I'd have gotten my car and gone home. Um, but, no, they, they fought back. They found themselves in the baseball game. And um, A&M really didn't put it out of reach until the, what, bottom, top of the eighth inning, top of the ninth inning. Um, I just couldn't get the hit to tie the game. They had Gonzo and Elko both in some spots where – they run a ball in the gap or hit a ball off the batter's eye, they probably win the baseball game. Um, no, I just couldn't get that get that hit to to and look, obviously they didn't pitch well enough, they didn't play well enough on defense, but they uh they actually hit well statistically uh with guys on base, but man, there was just opportunities for for their two through six guys to to come through. And unfortunately, I don't think Ole Miss had a hit uh, on Thursday night from their two through six guys. Well, I can look that up for you right then. Two through six, Graham had one. But your your point still – Graham had one. Yeah, but you're right. Alderman over, Elko over, Gonzalez over. You're exactly right. And uh, that's – you know, it's – I don't want to say two sides of the same coin because that doesn't actually make any sense. But what I was getting at a second ago to where it's like, hey, this offense still kind of looks different and, like, they look better. But, you know, the bottom of the lineup, seven through nine, got them, what, four hits. You had three for three from uh, Dunhurst, one for three for McCants, and then uh, – or excuse me, one for four McCants, and then Chatney had a hit as well. But you're right, kind of the top and the middle of the lineup wasn't very good. And they weren't terrible offensively, but you're exactly right from the standpoint of, like, it felt like to the two, three biggest moments of the game when they had guys on base, they either didn't get it done or had – I don't know if you could call this poor fortune, but I'm thinking of that Gonzalez hit in the seventh where that's a base hit to right field. 99 times yeah. out of 100, but A&M shifted to that perfectly, which credit to them, right? But, like, it just felt like there was a combination of missed opportunities and poor luck. But all I was trying to get at, because on the surface now, the Friday game seems a little bit um, irrelevant in some senses. I was just trying to get at from the standpoint, it's like, it didn't seem like they were much different of a team. They just kind of lost a baseball game where they got in a hole. They lost a baseball to – yeah. They lost a baseball game to a good team. It happens, you know. Um, if there was any indictment on this team, I would, I would, I would look more at Saturday than I would Thursday night for sure. Saturday bothered me just, just how they played, and I'm, we'll get to it in a minute. But Saturday, Saturday was not a good look. Yes, it was. I mean, excuse me. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was not a good look. I was agreeing with you there. But yeah, they just kind of lost the game on on Friday. But let's get to the main part part of it because um, later in the game, it felt like A and M kind of put it away. What they hit. Two home runs in the ninth inning, but really that was just the prelude to the real show. Um, we had ejections, we had suspensions, we had uh, almost a brouhaha. We had a first base coach involved. There was all kinds of stuff going on late on a Thursday night in Oxford, Mississippi. What did uh, what? I'll just leave it open ended. <laughs> what did you think of what happened? If you pissed Justin Bench and you pissed Peyton Chatney off, you probably did something. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Like, I don't think Justin Bench and Peyton Chatney are the guys looking to go fight you. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but it, those guys were really upset with this cat rounding the base. And, I mean, I, I don't know what he said. I, I can guess. Um, but 
look, I'll never defend throwing at somebody. That's that's something I'm I'm totally against, um, pretty much at all times. But I, I and so it's hard for me to put this in context because all year we've said, hey, who on this team? If, if something wants to break out, who's ready to go fight? Um, and and the answer for most of you was, hell, I don't know. Um, so uh, while while I don't defend Gaddis for throwing at the guy. Um, it was nice to see that, hey, uh, if this, if th- they're not going to get punked in their own house. Um, that there is some cats on this team that, that, if, that are not going to let people just run their mouths at them. Um, again, look, it, you don't handle that by throwing a fastball at somebody's back um, at 90 miles an hour or whatever it was. Well, I guess if you got it, it's probably 87. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I didn't have too much of a problem with what shot in and, and, uh, Elko did, especially with them getting into it with the first base coach. The first base coach, that's that's pretty unacceptable. You don't talk to kids. Um, I mean, that 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 that's sort of ridiculous from from early. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I I I I guess I I would say I appreciated the fight. I don't really condone throwing at folks um, either, but. The way that went down, so as best I can describe it, and you'll call this a somewhat educated opinion of what happened, and it's not like I'm breaking any secrets here. Most people probably saw, for the most part, what happened there. A&M, throughout the course of the weekend, really not just that batter, kind of took a while to get into the in and out of the box. I don't know if that's just kind of the way they roll. I don't know if that's a concerted strategy. Did you notice that, though? Like, for a couple of old yes. people faster. the games took forever. I was going to say, well, Wendell, yeah, exactly. I mean, my God, that Thursday night game, I, don't, I can't be the only one that looked up and was like, because I was working um, on a couple of side projects while the game was going on. I had it on the TV, but I was working too. And I got up and I was like, wait a minute, this thing started 6.30 or 6 or whatever it was. And it's, it's the 10th and it's 9.15. Like, what, or excuse me, it's the 7th and it's 9.15. I can't talk today. Like, what's going on here? But did you even, like some of Ole Miss's, it was more evident with some of Ole Miss's quicker workers. I think it was evident with Delusia too at the start. Like Delusia looked ready to go a couple times and they wouldn't get in the box. So Gaddis clearly is one of Ole Miss's quicker workers. I think that was one of the first things that was that stuck out about that guy when we first started, started seeing him pitch for Ole Miss in February. And so it looked like, what, uh, what was the cat's name? He took a while in the box. Rock. Oh, it was Clock. Sorry, how can I rock. that he became a villain? Villain, villain throughout the course of the uh the weekend so Dylan Rock gets in it looked like he was uh it looked like he was uh kind of taking a while and then look I mean Gaddis had just given up a tape measure shot to Moss so I doubt he was in the greatest of moods so Gaddis looked like he kind of tried to quick pitch him but it wasn't really a quick pitch it was kind of like I right, this guy's taking like Gaddis didn't like my depth my thinking of a quick pitch is, is to try to catch the uh try to catch the guy off guard when he gets in the box type of thing. But that was more so just like he was pissed that he was taking too long. And once he got in there, he was ready to roll. Like he wasn't necessarily trying to catch him off guard, but more so show up how long he was taking, if that makes sense. So that happened. I think it was a a strike. And so clearly if it's a strike and not a ball, that irks the hitter a bit more. And so then Rock hits one a ton and walks down the line and all, or uh, kind of trots down the line, offers some pleasantries to Gaddis. Gaddis clearly was already peeved about how long it was taking. Then he gives up back-to-back home runs, that being the second one. Obviously, probably not in the greatest of moods after that one. Yells something back at him. They have words. Then where it gets weird is Elko kind of has some words with him. Chatagnier definitely wants some, but like it hasn't gotten to him yet, I'd say, uh, for the lack of a better phrase. But then the first base coach gets involved 
and it just seemed like a lot of F you, bro, F you, bro, F you, bro, and not a whole lot to make of it. And then Gattis took it to another level. But let's stop there from the quick pitch to the trot around, let's say, second, third base. What did you see? What did you think? Um, so Rock hits the ball over the fence in second home run of the night. The kid's a really good player. He's a prick, but he's a really good player. Um, I say, he'll let you know about it. Yeah, and, and you know, he, he says something pretty uh, X-rated, apparently, to Gaddis, and and his teammates take up for him because I, I think the general sense around that team is they really like John Gaddis. Um, and, and so I didn't notice uh, the first base coach thing until um, I get back to the condo. And, and somebody told me that, that Chatagne and, and Elko had words with the first base coach. And, and Tim Elko is probably the nicest human being on that team. So if he's having words with a first base coach, I, 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 I would suspect those words were uh, from the first base coach were not very pleasant. Oh, yeah. No, and probably some of it is just the sheer shock value or – you know, Elko, I imagine when that guy's coming down the line, chirp, if you're looking at it from Elko's vantage point, he's watching Rock chirp back and forth at Gaddis coming down the line. They're losing. He's probably as mild-mannered as he is. Elko's probably not happy. But then you mentioned it. I mean, you coach baseball. How uncommon is it at really any level for a first base coach to start kind of talking shit at players? Like that, that I haven't seen that before. I'm not going to clutch um, about it. it. You know, this is look, we're look, we're all. I mean, this is sports, right? Like we're all barbarians to some degree. Sure. I'm not clutching pearls about it, but that is very uncommon, is my point. And I feel like you could speak to that too, because obviously I, you work in baseball. Yeah, I'll tell you this. Um, I've never had a coach say anything to any of my kids, but I, I can tell you, uh, I would not handle that well if you, you don't you don't talk to my kids. And in, in, in a way like that, you don't you don't talk to them in a way that's going to piss them off. So, um, you know, uh, so no, like, look, if if kids get into it, kids get into it. But when, when grown adults are, are yelling at uh, team members that are players that aren't theirs. Um, no, I, I would have a very, very serious problem at that point. Yeah, right. And so I imagine at that point, just to guess, once Elko sees that and then hears a first base coach chirping him. Yeah, mild-mannered as he is, I'm sure he was pretty hot about that. And then Chatagne kind of, like, chased the guy um, as he was rounding second base. And then it looked like Bench had some words for him forward. This is the unfortunate part about there still being – and, look, I love that college baseball games are on TV. Please don't follow this away or uh, interpret this as a complaint. But, you know, college baseball games, particularly when they're not nationally broadcast, don't really have the same camera angles as, say, I don't know, Monday Night Football. So what was weird about the whole thing was we couldn't actually see the first base coach chirping, right? It was clear that it happened, but we never even really got to see it, right? Like, not that we would have heard it, but we didn't get to see the body language. We didn't get to see kind of how intense he was. It was one of those things where we saw Rock, we saw Elko, we saw Shat, and literally just outside of the camera's view is the first base coach. And then you see Mike walking out very pissed off about it too, because again, Clearly it happened. It was just like the man of the hour was nowhere to be seen on screen, and that was unfortunate. I would have liked to have seen the third base coach, <laughs> excuse me, the first base coach chirping. Um, and so that was part of what made it a little bit weirder. And so then, then it happens. Caddis, <laughs> look, I don't condone throwing at people. But 90% of the time, I think it's a loser move. 
I don't think it's the greatest move that Gaddis did it. I'm not going to follow it away in the loser move category. No. Because there's some context here. But at the same time, it was kind of hilarious because Gaddis yeah, moved directly at him. And before that ball, whether it hit him, whether it got behind him, like Gaddis was in his pose of like, fuck with me, bro. Like before it even got to the catcher's mitt or wherever it was intended. Like that, that was okay, – so- that was that was he was ready to roll as soon as that left his hand. So, as someone that teaches high school, um, my favorite thing is is like when um, a fight or an almost fight breaks out. Is the guy that's getting hold back, held back, like barely getting held back? It's like if I wasn't getting held back, it's like buddy, the umpire is not holding you back with much force. If you'd like to get away from him, you're more than welcome to go to the mound. Um, that was my favorite thing was uh, – I think it was Boss just, like, hiding by the umpire, like, yelling at Gattis, like, if, like, like if this cat wasn't going to hold him back, if he, that he was going to go do something, which he wasn't. Now, here's what I'll say. And to Boss' um, credit, right, one, you're right, but you don't want to sh- – I mean, you talk about a real suspension. You start getting all shovey well, with that's, the umpire. And I doubt Boss wanted to fight. I'm sure he's like, hey, man, what are you – I know this is what he said, but I imagine in the back of his mind, it's like, hey, man, what are you throwing at me for? Yeah, and no, that's a valid complaint, too. Um, here's what I'll say about Gaddis. Um, one, I don't advocate throwing at people. Um, two, Ole Miss needed John Gaddis again this weekend, and they didn't have him. Um, so, you know, it's a tough spot. Look, I, I get the old school baseball away. Is, hey, if somebody does that, you throw at them or whatever. Uh, I don't really buy into that notion. Um, but the reality is, I mean, Ole Miss – without John Gaddis for two more games. Um, if they lose on Tuesday, they don't have John Gaddis on Friday in a regional. Was that worth throwing at someone's back because they called you a word you didn't like? Um, I don't know. It's a tough situation. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the kid. Um, I just, you know, look, I, I don't think the, the correct way to handle things um, when you get suspended four games as a pitcher is by throwing at them. Um, if it's that serious, just go fight the kid for all I care. Yeah, no, I'm with, I'm with you. I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but, you know. No, I think it's worth criticism. I think it was a boneheaded move to do it. I, that, that said, I can't say I necessarily hated it. One, I love the theater. Two, I love the – I mean, I kind of enjoyed the fact that they had a little bit of uh, – Yeah, that's the thing. I don't want to like. say fight yeah. in them, but that kind of like, hey, like you're not going to – like you're not going to punk me. It's just – it's it, w- it was a weird – it was a weird and pointless moment for it to happen. But I feel like there's there's been so many times with this team that it's lacked that it was kind of like, I don't know, it was so welcomed in the sense it's like, oh, they do have that in them. Like we've seen signs of it, at least in terms of like how they played baseball in the last couple of weeks, but just kind of that actual fire, it was like welcome to see, but at the same time it was, it was incredibly stupid. Well, I wonder if Boss did the calculus in his head um, of maybe going out to the mountain and it's like, huh, they have a 300-pound defensive tackle country kid named Ben and a guy named Kemp over there. It's about 280 pounds and can kind of run. I like wonder if that went through his head when he was deciding on if he wanted to go to the mound or not. Oh, probably. Look, I'm not making boss the enemy here. I don't think he wanted any of that, but it again, I mean, I didn't play baseball. You did. If someone throws at you like that, knowing what happened, yeah, before, like you can't like, 
there's almost like a, I hate using this phrase, but there's like a base level of like tough guyness you have to portray. Like, don't you have to chirp him even though you have no intention of doing anything? Like, how weird of a move it would have been if Boss just walked, started walking down the line and like waved at him. Like, thanks, man. Like, <laughs> you know I mean, it's almost like things are so heated you have to yell at him. He kind of, like, if we're sure. ranking like who's no, I'm not mad at here, I'm going Mike Bianco one and maybe Boss two. In terms of just who was put in the craftiest yeah. position in all of this, yeah, yeah, no, I, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't blame Boss. Um, yeah, if you're gonna throw at somebody, wait for wait for Rock to come up the next day. Problem with that is you can't, you sure as hell can't get Hunter Elliott ejected. Yeah, that's um, also true. I mean, oh, here's a good one. Well, actually, no, that wouldn't work. Do you start an opener until Boss gets up? <laughs> You chuck 90-something at his, you know, ribs, and then it's like, all right, now the game started. I kid. I don't I'm think just, you can do that. But, yeah, I'm just a proponent of striking out. So I, I want to get to – before we move on from this, because, I mean, look, there's really not much to cover. It was funny to kind of – it was cool, I guess, to kind of – they had the little – you know, you saw a little bit of fire out of him. A couple of mild manner guys too, right? I mean, look, Chat has a lot of, uh, you know, give a crap in him, but I didn't necessarily know he had that. Justin Bench is about as stoic as a person as there is, and Tim Elko just kind of seems like – And he was guy. pissed. Yeah, and you, you make them mad. Clearly something really went haywire. Um, the last thing, though, was I was texting you and Chase at the same time when this was happening on Thursday night because Richard's reading the broadcast, and Richard's saying, according to X and X – Richard Cross, that is, on the broadcast – is like according to X and X bylaw that we've confirmed with an umpire. I think he was literally I mean, Richard has a couple of umpire buddies. I think he was texting one of them. Like Mike is suspended for a game. And I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world does that make sense? Because coaches usually get a freebie, and clearly Mike didn't really do anything there. But apparently, there is this arbitrary no. rule that if a is it just a player gets ejected, or is it a pitcher throws it someone I think it's a, after? I think if it's your. I think if it's you have a bench warning and something happens. So if something aggressive, so that, that, like, so because Gaddis threw at a guy after a bench warning happened, Mike was automatically tossed. And not only was he automatically tossed, he was suspended for this for game two, which that gets into yeah. the part of it where you're talking about with Gaddis is you're right. Ole Miss did kind of need Gaddis. Uh, look, it wasn't, I don't think it was a series changer, but I think it had an effect on it. Well, oh, go does ahead. he come they, in they, instead they, of Drew I'm not disagreeing. I just couldn't think – like, off the surface, it was like, eh, did they really lose this because Gaddis wasn't available for that lens? But make the case. I'm serious. Does, does he come in for Drew McDaniel in, instead of Drew McDaniel in that spot on Saturday? That is completely fair, and I'm glad you hit on that. Because the way I look at it is, weren't there a couple other options too? And we can get to that in a second. But, yes, you're right. That would be – in terms of guys might trust, I would say yes. So. I mean, Potentially, yes. I think it's a good point you make. Um, it's just, I mean, he's trusted Gaddis in those spots before. I, I don't know. Not that you we can do anything about it or not that it's really worth complaining over, but I'm just curious. Like, what did you think of that? I, th I found that to be a bizarre rule. I was like, wait a minute. Mike, you know, as angry as Mike gets sometimes, that man um, said about uh, uh, the end of one game and an entire another one, he really didn't do anything at all. Like, it seems very dumb. You're, you're right. You're right. It well, so all right. Let me present it like this: What if you know that rule's not in place? And I know Mike wouldn't do this. So let's just say a coach at Florida State. This happens, and the coach of Florida State then the dugout says, "Hey, throw it the next kid's ear." You know, he puts a he put. So think about it like you just said, right? 
um, what if the coach at Florida State puts um, somebody at the back of the bullpen on the mound to throw at a kid, and he's got no repercussions. The kid that threw at it is going to be suspended four games, but he doesn't matter because he's at the back end of your bullpen. I'm actually okay with the rule. I hate it that got applied like it did in this situation um, because Mike Mike didn't do anything. Obviously, he didn't tell to throw at him. If anybody believes that, you're insane. Um, but it, I, I don't actually have too much of an issue with that rule. All right, you're right. Like, clearly, Mike didn't yell at him. But, okay, so I'll play devil's advocate with you here. Okay, fine. The rule's in place. Mike gets tossed. I guess this would go to the next coach. And I get what you're about to say, domino effect. But even if that rule's in place and Mike's tossed, what's stopping Mike as he's hitting the showers and going, hey, laugh, fastball, ear hole? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I guess laugh gets tossed and it keeps going. I, I get why the – Clem has to call pitches. Right, and then it gets to the point where it's just Chris O'Leary and, I don't know, um, Josh Mowitz coaching bases. I, I get where this could potentially go. So, you're, you're right. I just thought it was a funny rule. It brings up the last thing I'll bring up about this on a more lighthearted note. They still had uh, half an inning, or I guess like five outs to go, four outs to go, there is, I imagine, a point where it is just Mike John Gaddis in the clubhouse. What? Oh boy. What do you, what do you oh think? Buddy. You, so, mean, if you're Gaddis, do you just, like, so, so I'm sure there was a moment where, like, Gaddis gets ejected and Mike goes out to the field and figures out what's going on. Do you just, like, quickly run and get your car keys and go home? So, I'll, I'll frame it to you this way. Gaddis is what? 22 going on 23 years old? Yeah. Gone. About to go to med school. Exactly. He's about to go to med school. He's gone at the end of the year. I know this sounds stupid, but, like, he's a grown man, right? Like, you know, but there's yeah, a – Yeah, you're not going to yell at him like you're going to do the He's a grown man, right? Well, my thing is, I'm not saying Mike's scared to yell at him. What good does that do? Like, no, I, it's not – Like, I <laughs> – I honestly – I can tell you this. My head. I know, clearly, they're college kids – they're probably not bringing an igloo cooler full of uh, Coors Light into the clubhouse. But what made me laugh was I remember back when I was uh, doing the little Reds internship or whatever, on travel days in particular, some of them did it just after wins anyway, but on travel days when they were about to take a charter, some of those guys would bring beer into the clubhouse. And they'd have a couple beers, but when they, had their, they already had their stuff at the stadium before they waited on the bus to take the charter to go to whatever city they were going to. But in my mind on Thursday night, I would just love it kind of like almost Bull Durham style if obviously Mike beat Gaddis back to the clubhouse because Gaddis threw at him and immediately just walked up. I mean, look, he knew his fate. If, like, Mike's walking back all peeved and Gaddis is just sitting there with, like, a cords like tall boy, it's like, sup, so we're both out of here. <laughs> you want one too? <laughs> so if you're Gaddis, do you, do you consider going to right field on Friday night? I don't think that would go over well. I don't know what he's allowed and what's not to do. But on a serious note, like well, what, him and Mike probably, I bet him and Mike watch the game together in the clubhouse. I mean, yeah, probably to some degree. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was like a two-three run game, but like I guess it's kind of out of reach. I just kind of want to know what was said. You know, like does Mike yell at him? I'm sure Mike wasn't happy. It's like really, man. But with particularly some of his older players, I feel like Mike because he treats his players different than kind of his demeanor a lot of the times i'm honestly you know serious note, just kind of curious what he said like does it really do any good to yell at a guy like john gaddis he deserves it i'm not saying it's not he doesn't maybe he got a bit of an ass chewing it's like you know what what was the deal with that 
But a part of me just wonders, like, did you actually yell at him? Because what's the point? And the second part of that I'll pose to you. Do you think when Mike knew he got back to the locker room, he could not coach the next day? Because that might be the secondary fuse. No. It actually leads to the ass chewing. No, I don't. I highly doubt he knew that. I'm with you. I, 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 I would definitely lean no. I don't Mike think. Had no idea. Because I, I don't know think, until I look, I'm listening to the. I'm listening to the radio after the game, and they didn't know down on the field. Um, they were having to ask to confirm and, and stuff like that. Um, and I never heard them confirm it. So I don't know if they knew down on the field after the game. Right, because you're at the game and I texted you and I said, Mike's suspended tomorrow. And you're like, no, I don't think so. They get a freebie. And I said, I thought the same thing. Richard is now quoting some bylaw or something in the rule book. So there's no way Mike knew. So maybe our guy Gaddis got lucky to where he gets to change. He gets out of there. Do you think some media relations guy was like, hey, look, Mike's suspended tomorrow. We're about to go in there and tell him. You're probably want to want to go to the players. Oh God, who had to tell him? Oh, oh, I. Uh, <laughs> I don't they don't know. get paid enough. Whoever that person is, give them a raise. I, I, I don't know. I, I would assume it's. Mixed. Is that something you tell Glaff or Clem and say, "Hey, can I go tell this guy this"? If whomever was in charge of telling him, if they were smart, yes, you go to Laugh and Clem and be like, "Hey, man." He's suspended. He's not going to take it well, but he's not going to yell at you. You make more money than me. Can you just walk in there and tell him he can't put on his jersey tomorrow? Like, tell him he has to call pitches from the clubhouse. Yeah. He, 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 oh, that's, that's my next question. Do you think Mike had a walkie-talkie in the Clems or in the lab's ear on, third, on Friday night? I got to say, I don't think he's that sophisticated. That's not a knock on our guy five. Um, <laughs> that's just <laughs> No, he wouldn't break that rule. Yeah, he just wouldn't break that rule. Well, um, I think it was technology type of thing. You? you told me one year, as as recently as 2017, the only news source he got was the Oxford Eagle. So in my like, the, you you might say he won't break that rule. In my mind, Mike's like, oh well, there's a brick wall between the clubhouse and the field. That probably won't work. That's <laughs> not how radios work. <laughs> so what did you think about them naming uh, Clement the actual head coach? Um, anything to that I don't know like I, I just honestly did you you were surprised by that I just kind of assumed that's what it'd be third base guy hitting coach look it, well I just I mean I, did, I just wonder why they went over with uh, him over last man when it got up 14 to 6 do you think like I, if they, I just, I'm praying I just hope they would have some fun with it like hey we're up eight runs who would it piss off to put Mike in the game <laughs> how like who can <laughs> How bad? Who can we put in that's going to make Mike mad? My favorite thing was uh, they were up like 11 to 6 before they uh, they extended it or whatever. And my buddy texted me. He was like, I'm actually glad Mike's suspended because he'd be bringing in Brandon Johnson right now. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Like, I would be – it would be such a power move if Clemmer Laugh brought, like, Mallets in. And Mike after was like, hey, it's 14-6. Why'd you put Mallets in? Well, he throws strikes. You know what would have been an actual power move? What? If he put Derek Diamond in to finish it. Oh, my. Yes, I love this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you put him in? Derek so Diamond. Can't start him? So you can't leave him to so the, the order in a game we so might you have can't to screw it up. So you can't screw this up tomorrow. Play chestnut checkers, Mike. There we go. Uh, embrace debate. Was Saturday's pitching mishap? The assistants thought they had the keys to the car for a day and they didn't save Mike from himself. 
I just returned it with a full tank of gas. You could have fixed that. Exactly. Y'all might wreck the car. You could have stuck a hole in the gas pipe. You could have done a lot of things. You could have slashed the tires. So, anyway, Ole Miss loses 10 to 5. That was in just – I don't even know if that was a good segment on the brawl, but that was our segment on the brawl. Let's get to Saturday real quick because we have a lot to get to. Friday, Friday, Friday. Friday, and we might be here till fucking midnight at this point, but whatever. Here we go. All right, so Ole Miss responds 14 to 6, and I'll give another credence and kind of antidote of, hey, is this, you know, is this team different? It was a little bit more resilient. Sunday or well, Saturday wasn't a good look. We'll get to that in a second. Ole Miss gets down 3 nothing. Elliott does not look good in the first inning, right? You have a single walk, single, and two. I don't know. What did you think of, of Hunter Elliott in the first inning? I didn't think he was sharp by any means. But honestly, thought he was left sharp at OSU. When he gave up three runs in the first inning, you may disagree, but my thinking was, damn, this A&M offense is good. Yeah, no, that A&M offense is very good. Um, They're kind of relentless. They don't hit the ball over the fence, so they don't get the pub as Tennessee. But, I mean, they just won the West with kind of a clown show of a a starting pitching situation on them. They are really good. Yeah, no, they can hit the hell out of the baseball. Um, so credit to him. I, I didn't think Elliott was good on Friday. I didn't think he had good stuff. I didn't think he pitched particularly well. Didn't throw enough strikes. Um, I'll be honest with you, and I kind of thought this on, on Friday – or excuse me, on Thursday and Friday. Ole Miss got in holes early, and they were lucky the holes were only as bad as they were because yeah. they could have been a lot worse. No, you're exactly right because what? You have the sing- – you get a pop-up, boss steals second, you get a single, so that's – Three nothing hit by pitch. Yeah, you're right. It could have been a lot worse in the first inning. Ole Miss responds though, right? They get a run in the bottom of the first. You get a uh, hey, how about that sack fly? You get a double single sack fly. Probably could have been more, but they immediately respond in the second inning. And I mean, over the net. I mean, look, Ole Miss went two in the third, two in the uh, two in the second, two in the third, three three. Ole Miss took complete control of the game to where. We talk about a punishing opponents' mistakes and kind of hitting their weak points because Micah Dallas, who was an absolute stud at Texas A and M the year or Texas Tech the year before, because he's faltered, they've really been put in a weird spot as their number two starter. And I say to you know to Ole Miss's credit, before you get in a close game and the bullpen gets involved, they pulverized Prager and really to or excuse me, not Prager, Tucker and to their credit, they didn't really let A&M's bullpen get involved because you saw what happened when the bullpen got involved with, uh, was it Menifee on uh, the Saturday game? Ole Miss really took control of a weak point in A&M's, kind of a weak point in their armor, and I thought that was important. Like, when they got down 3 nothing, because I was texting Michael Borky before the game because he was trying, kind of crafting a take like, hey, if they lose today, they might not make the tournament. I was like, I don't disagree, but A&M has been really bad in the rotation after Detmer because of Micah Dallas and some other things they've had going on. I think Ole Miss needs to get after them early. Then they give up the three spot, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not great. And to their credit, they left no doubt in those first five frames. I thought it was important that they really got after the starter and took control of the game before it became a close bullpen game, if that makes any sense. No, it does. Um, No, it was good on Ole Miss to see them fight back. I thought Friday was important. Um, And here's what I liked about this team. And this is just a me thing. Um, But on on Thursday, so three and four weeks ago, I talked about, hey, when this team falls down, they don't come back and win. On Thursday night, when they were down seven to three, I'm like, hey, they may come back and win. And then Friday, when it was three to nothing, I'm like, hey, they're going to come back and win. And then on Saturday, when they fall down, what, uh, four to two or whatever, um, 
every time they fall down, I'm like, hey, they're, they're going to come back and fight. Um, so I think that's what the most impressive part of this team has been over the past three weeks is their ability to erase leads, something they weren't able to do, uh, or erase deficits, excuse me, something they weren't able to do during that tough stretch of SEC play. No, I, I thought Friday was really impressive um, from that standpoint. Is, is they kept fighting, they found a way, and they extended the lead. Um, look, if you had told me before this series that, you know, Hunter Elliott, Dylan Belusha, and uh, Derek Diamond are going to give you 8.2 innings and give up what, like, non-earned runs, I'd be like, well, Ole Miss is getting swept. They're going to have to go fight their tails off at Hoover. Um, so the starting pitching was bad, but they, they still found a way offensively to get themselves out of there with at least one win. No, you're right. And to someone like – I'm sure there's someone out there listening to me, like, what are you guys talking about? They lost two or three to A&M when they really had a, like, they had a chance to kind of really further solidify both their postseason standing go to an outside host. But in terms of just like it looking real from a sheer offensive standpoint, I'm with you. It was – I thought when – even when they got down 7 nothing, I was like, actually, I think, if you know, it's so early. If they get one crooked letter in the first three, four frames, I think they're going to have a chance to come back and, and win this thing. And the same thing on Friday. They got down three to nothing, and particularly after the way I kind of saw they pitched A&M pitched that first frame, I was like, no, Ole Miss, if, if, if they can just be okay for the next couple of innings, they're going to be fine. And, look, Hunter Elliott wasn't good, but you got to give the kid credit. After that first really bad inning, what did he do? He put up three zeros, and because of his handiwork, by the time he got done with it, he only made it four innings. Ole Miss was up, what was that, eight to eight to three by that point? So he stabilized yeah. a little bit. Now, he, you know, you'd like for him to be better, but keeping it on an offensive standpoint for a second, I think you're right. I think one of the reasons I think they can, if they can get into a tournament, they'll have a chance. They're not a perfect team. They still inexplicably stink defensively at times. That really cost them in the Friday game, and we probably glossed over the Leatherwood part of it. Um, if they just made a couple of plays defensively, they weren't in that situation on Thursday. Excuse me, I keep saying Friday, game one. But if you if we're still trying to kind of validate the fact that hey, no, this offense is okay, and this team is probably somewhere closer to what we think it is, is the fact that they got down in both games, and you think actually they have a chance here, and I actually think they were going to win. They got down three one after an inning, and I was like, I'm actually fully confident Ole Miss is going to win unless they're just a disaster on the mound. And honestly, those three innings plus a couple of bullpen innings with Elliott was really the only point of the weekend where they weren't a total disaster on the mound. Yeah. Um, That's not fair. Doherty was that. good, and it was lost because of how yeah. they got down. But Nichols Doherty, was good, too. Yeah, that's true. Um, so that's probably not completely fair, but you kind of get the point anyway. Sure. Um, no, I mean, hey, look, he did stabilize, and that was good to see. Um, obviously not his best outing and wasn't particularly sharp, but – um, he's a freshman. He gets a, he gets a mulligan on that for sure. So, um, no, look, I thought Friday was as impressive as I thought Saturday was concerning. I'll put it that way. Um, Saturday bothered me. We'll get to that in a minute. But but I, I thought I thought they were pretty good on Friday night, which is kind of confusing as to what while what happened on Saturday. Yeah, because after they went on Friday, I was thinking actually, you know, I, I kind of like the way they they match up from a pitching standpoint on Saturday. I, I sure. thought they were going to win the game on Saturday. I got to be completely honest that clearly didn't turn out to be the case, but you're right. Um, and then I'll make this case. They, Delusia struggled. Elliott struggled. But if this team gets into a regional, what are the odds? Did, I'm not saying they're going to get through, but regional, super regional, what are the odds they see an offense as good as Tennessee's and A&M's? 
Because that feels like the only times this year they've consistently looked like, man, they're in trouble here and, like, can't, where they can you get outs from. And those are the two of the best offenses in the country. I didn't do a deep dive per se, but I looked at some of just the NCAA baseball offensive numbers through the year, and I tried to compare some of them through conference play earlier this afternoon when I was prepping for this. What are the odds they actually see an offense as good as those two throughout their entire postseason run? Uh, you don't want to go to Oregon State, but outside of that, you'll be fine. Um, no, you won't, you, won't, you won't see that outside of Fort Valley's Oregon um, as far as where you could go for a regional. So uh, hopefully if you're on Mets, you don't, you don't end up there. But outside of that, no, I, I think they'll be able to, to have a lot more success against, you know, uh, offenses that aren't uh, Texas A&M and Tennessee for sure. I don't really know what's much, else, much else to say about this Friday game. The offense was really good. Did anything stick out from you from this game too? I mean, I just thought they hit the ball really well. Uh, I mean, you, Josh Mallett was really, really good. He was, um, which he was really good. Again, so I'm kind of in the uh, how do I put this? I'm in somewhat of the Drew McDaniel camp with Mallets because he's been good and he's been good in more important spots than McDaniel's been, but in a real spot when it real matters, really, really matters, and like they really, really need outs. Like I still kind of want to see it, right? Because he's had kind of some. Well, I can. I can give you a chance. I can give you that opportunity if they went on Tuesday night because I'm being a little bit facetious here, but I think I actually mean this. I would start him against Tennessee if they won on Tuesday. I don't hate that at all. What What do you have to lose? So you would not start Hunter Elliott? No, I would not bring him back on short rest, especially considering that the game doesn't mean a whole lot. If you went on Tuesday, it means absolutely nothing, quite frankly. Um, I'd see what Josh Miles had as a starter. I need a, I need a fourth starter, and, and I don't currently have one. Frankly, I need a third starter, but and I currently don't have one of those either. And that's probably um, a good way. Derek Diamond's – Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, Derek Diamond's fine, um, but you would hope that you can get more out of what that, what he's giving you as the third starter. Um, I'd try – I would spend Hoover. That's – and, look, Mike won't do this because he puts a premium on this tournament, and that's fine. It's, it's helped Ole Miss a lot of times. Um, but I would spend the entire week, if I got past Tuesday, figuring out uh, who can help me in game three and game four of a regional. No, I'm with you. I think that's a I think that's a terrific point. I think it's a great way to look at it. Staying on that though, real quick, not diving away from it, just before I get to it. I I so I was out with some friends on Friday after Ole Miss went up eight three. Was there anything I I mean I had it up on my phone, but, but your boy was not locked in. Was there anything I missed in the later innings? Like did, did we miss anything from the Friday game? Mm, no. Yeah, miss anything. No. So let's get to the Saturday game because that was the concerning part. I'm not going to have to let you take the lead on this because I rewatched this game this morning when I woke up. Um, no one wants to pivot to NASCAR corner, do they? Do you know what I did on Saturday? Yeah, you went to the All-Star race. Didn't you? Oh, I didn't just go to an All-Star race. Can I, you know, I don't care. This is my podcast. Sure. We're, we're about to have a NASCAR sideways. Dude, so – I, on Saturday, missed the most of the game. I watched the sixth through the ninth innings when I got back home and then rewatched the game on Saturday because I felt it was important to see the shot and yay home run and then to see really what exactly happened with uh, Drew McDaniel. But the reason I wasn't there – so a buddy of mine – I was supposed to play golf this weekend on Saturday. buddy of mine, a couple of Mississippi State guys um, that I've met since I've got here, one of them was like, hey, change of plans. You're not playing golf anymore. I have tickets to this NASCAR race. I was like, okay, whatever. I've never been to a NASCAR race. Sounds fine to me. I'm down to go. I don't have anything to do. MC wants me out of the house. Let's, uh, let's go to this NASCAR race. So 
he sends us the ticket and they're VIP passes. Would you have any idea what VIP means at a NASCAR race? I would not. Me neither. That makes two of us. So <laughs> I don't know what this means. So we show up to this sucker. I'm not making this up. So we get the tickets. We get in. One of the guys is like, oh, y'all are with the 78 car. I was like, what? And was like, yeah, and the, the dude just blurted out, yeah, we're with the 78 car. So we get shuttled into the infield. And we're supposed to meet this lady who's kind of gave us the tickets that we're like, okay, like, what, what, what are we doing here? We're all around. So we get in this, we're, we're touring the car. So I'm walking down pit row at a NASCAR race where they're like fixing up these cars. And I'm like, how am I, how am I allowed to be walking up and down here right now? This doesn't make any sense. So it's the Xfinity series. So that's their like AAA, like right before the actual NASCAR cup series, basically. So the cup series is the all-star race, which was on Sunday. This was the Xfinity series on Saturday. So I'm sitting there thinking, what, how are we allowed to do this? So then we're like, hey, we got the, the guy was like, hey, we have to meet this lady. We have to go to this RV. So we hop on this RV with all these people. I don't know who any of them are. There's a professional bull rider in there. There's two C TCU football players. Some guy hands me a bush light, and it's like, hey, can you guys clear out to the side of the RV? Like, can you sit down? Josh has to come through. I was like, who, who is Josh? He walks back in, changes clothes, comes back out into, like, his fire suit. Josh is the NASCAR driver. So at this point, I'm like, oh, we're on this guy's bus. This guy's driving in this race. And the lady chauffeuring us around was his publicist. And the way we got the tickets was my buddy's coworker is this girl who was like, hey, I can't go. My dad sponsors part of one of these teams. Well, she undersold the hell out of that. That guy wasn't a sponsor. He was the sponsor. That's his NASCAR. The sponsor. That, that is his race car. He doesn't own the team, but that is his race car. So now I'm putting two together, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, wow. So we follow this guy out through the infield, watch him go through the little announcing thing where they announce the drivers and they shoot fire through it, then follow him up pit row, kind of dap him up, give it, go through the high five line as he gets into the race car. And I'm like, okay, where are they going to see this for this race? We walk to their pit crew, to their pit stop, and they let us sit up there like with the crew chief and watch the race from up there. So I'm on a radio feed with this NASCAR crew with absolutely no business being there. Now Did they turned my microphone it? off, which is a good thing. Uh, yeah. So about 1230 <laughs> on Saturday, I'm like, how did I get here? What am I doing? What have I done with my life to get here? It was the, one of the coolest things I've ever been to, to be honest. I had no idea what I was watching. It was louder than hell. We saw a bunch of wrecks. But, like, I was sitting there thinking, like, how, how am I allowed to do this? I mean, look, I looked at, like, the, the crew guy. Like, one of the guys in front of me was, like, like, his job was monitor the fuel thing. And I was like, hey, how are we allowed to do this? And the guy was like, I mean, look, man, I don't love that you're up here. We're working, but you have a badge. I was like, fair enough, pal, fair enough. Um, so that's what I did on Saturday. Thoughts? Oh, that does sound like a fun experience. Um, I don't know. I've, I've got, I'm more into NASCAR than I've ever been, but I can't call myself a fan yet. Like, I at least – if it's on, I don't turn the channel, if that makes sense. So I'm going to start doing that now. Like, it really got me into NASCAR and, like, kind of, like, don't get me wrong. I don't understand shit about NASCAR. Like, I, no, I, don't, I, don't, understand. I still don't understand it. But seeing it up close and personal and, like, how fast those guys go and, like, the work that goes into it, it was really one of the coolest experiences I've ever had, like, really at any sporting event. And I just woke up on a Saturday morning hoping to get out of the house and watch some racing. So anyway, I probably need to do that with a hockey, uh, with a hockey match because they say if you go to hockey, you'll have a lot more respect for it. 
I just don't really like hockey right now. You need to go to a hockey game. I've been to – I grew up going to Preds games. I was kind of spoiled because my grandparents had tickets, and then I've gone to a bunch of Stars games here. You're absolutely right. But that's a good example. NASCAR is the same way. I mean, like, seeing them pit for the first time, I was like, I'm in. This is amazing. So, that was the NASCAR corner. Are they still playing hockey? Or has the Stanley Cup already happened? Or yeah, or we got we the conference, conference semis going on right now. Oh. So, they kind of keep track with the NBA. Like, their finals are when the NBA finals are. Normally, they are slightly ahead. And when I say slightly, I mean, like, literally, like, half a week ahead. Like, normally, when the Stanley Cup starts, like, the NBA final starts, like, five days later. But they're actually – they flip, gotcha. I think, because of the COVID seasons and it getting out of whack. But, yeah, they're pretty much on par with the NBA. Okay. okay. So, that, sorry, not to get sidetracked. That was the NASCAR corner that no one asked for. But I just had to tell someone about that. I, uh, I was just – I was taking – I was that guy. I was taking pictures. I was like, I cannot believe we're allowed to do this. Um, oh, last thing. They shot a midget out of a human cannon, and I got to watch that. What? No, yeah. They shot Dude, a what? human out of a cannon. At the race, like that was them celebrating the first stage of the race ending. I was like, there's no way this is real. There was some gentleman smoking a cig in charge of manning said cannon. And we're standing <laughs> by it. We're standing by it as we're walking by. And I was like, they're not actually going to shoot a guy out of there, right? And the guy was like, oh, yeah. And then he just goes, terrible idea. If he misses, he's dead. I've seen it happen. And I was like, okay. And just kept walking. I was like, um, this guy looks like he's got this under control. So the man in charge of shooting that guy out of the cannon was like, bad idea. If we miss, he's dead. I was like, oh, well, this doesn't seem great. So do they have like a landing pad for my guy? Oh, yeah, like a little net. And to to the guy's credit, he stuck the net. They did it twice. They did it after the first stage and after the end of the race. And to the credit, they were professionals. That that man, I thought it was a midget. It was a full-size human cannon, actually. How high are we getting in the air? We're talking 40, 50 feet. I'm not joking. Oh, my. Oh, oh yeah. No, no. This was, like, almost like – How much would they have to pay you to go into that? Oh, I'm assuming uh, Cannon Guy, the bullet in the cannon, I'm assuming he's getting paid. I'm assuming that's, like, an evil Knievel type thing. I don't think he was a volunteer. I don't think he was like, yeah, I'll get in this cannon for you. <laughs> I- I'm pretty no, but sure. seriously, how much money would they have to offer you to get in that cannon? Oh, me? Yeah. No, bueno. I don't love heights, dude. Uh, no, I mean, if you, if you say, like, a mill – and you give me a helmet, and you guarantee I'm landing in that net, maybe, maybe. What about you? We're talking, we're talking seven figures. Yeah, I think, I'm, I think I, I'll go a little less. I'll probably go half a mil. Uh, but, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't trust the guy that's by the cannon smoking a cigarette to not, to not kill me. Who thinks it's a bad idea? He was like, terrible idea. If this guy misses, it's done. I've seen it happen. I was like, you've seen it happen? Were you shooting that cannon? Like, what, what's, what's your story? Um, so, anyway, <laughs> I was just amazed by that. And it's not like they're just shooting you into the net to get you done, like they, to get you done with it. They're, they're looking for some arc. Like, they're looking for arc on the cannon. They're trying to please the crowd. The top row people need to see this man in the air. So, did, my, been, did my guy do some, like, flips or something? No, he did like one flip, but it was like a nat. Like it was, I think it was just a natural part of being shot out of a cannon. I don't think that was some athletic feat that he he did a flip. I think he flipped because that's the way the cookie crumbles when you become a human bullet. When you're four foot two and in the air, it just sometimes the wind pushes you over. Yeah, exactly. Aerodynamics, like a little lawn dart. Um. (laughs) Anyway, that was the NASCAR and um human cannon corner that no one asked for. Sorry about the sidetrack that on folks. Let's get to the Saturday game. That's why I had to rewatch the Saturday game though. Ole Miss goes down what? Two nothing. 
They tie it 2-2. They go up 5-2 on a Peyton Shackney yep. three-run home run. And at that point, I got to imagine, I'm probably with you. You know, I'm keeping up with it on my phone. I'm watching it through earmuffs on pit row. Um, shout out, I got to be the most dedicated guy in my job. I had my uh, phone in my lap as I'm inside a uh, NASCAR crew chief tower um, watching this game. At that point, I thought Ole Miss was winning the series. What did you think? Damages. Yeah, that's sorry. My bad. I had the game pulled up, the replay. Uh, go ahead. But, but did, that's when I thought Ole Miss was winning the series. Yeah. Yeah, I know. When Ole Miss went up 5-2, to two, especially with Brandon Johnson, as fresh as he was, I was like, hey, Ole Miss is going to get, you know, the outs and they're going to win. Um, fortunately for the Rebels, that, that did not occur because of a pitching decision that went awry. So that's the story of this, right? I mean, we can get to the, some of the ancillary stuff. Good for Chatagnier for having another weekend. We talked about the bottom of the lineup stuff. But, look, that's the story of this Sunday game or Saturday game. Let's just get right to it. It all unf- – I'm not defending Mike here, but it all seemed mm-hmm. to unfold so fast that I can't, like – clearly Mike did not think he was going to give up a grand slam. But when he walks that last guy, what, 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 what do you think – you have Mason Nichols up, who was good in the Thursday game. What are you, what are you holding out for? I'll, I'll post, I mean, you, it's probably something you can't defend. So, what are you holding out for? No. All right. I, I, I did not like that he got to see the kid um, that hit the grand slam. I thought he should have been taken out when the bases were loaded. Um, first off, Diamond should never have seen the fourth inning. Um, we, we all know the story by now. The story is the story. And by God, I, I, I almost respect, respect it from Diamond. And I know he's not doing it on purpose, let me be clear. But it is every freaking time through, the second time through. They just blitzkrieg. And, oh, in and, a sport and, where you've got to play tendencies, that's actually one of the concretes you look for, right? That, that's yeah, like he's with this team. That's happening every single time. It never doesn't happen, ever. It never doesn't happen. They always hit a home run and score three runs. Um, he brings in McDaniel, two hitters too late. And McDaniel, what people forget, strikes out Jack Moss with the guy at second and third. Okay? Yes. So it's five to two. He gives up the home run to Boss, excuse me, to Rock. I'm not pissed off at this point, okay? Like, it happens. They, the kid came in out of the bullpen. He's not pitched out of the bullpen much this year. Hadn't pitched much in SEC play. They hit the ball a long ways. He's been good in midweek games. I get it. It happens, okay? He goes, walk, single, walk. And he doesn't get out of the inning. At that point, he's got to come off the mound. Um, now, in saying that, like, in complete fairness to Mike, he probably didn't have Mason Nichols, you know, just fuming ready to go because he thought Drew McDaniel would figure out a way in four hitters to get one out. Um, unfortunately, he didn't. And, you know, the the, the decision was to, to stay with him to, uh, I can't, I think, Minnick, and Minnick hits the ball over the wall, and then all of a sudden almost is in trouble. Um, I don't I, know. I, I, I don't get this part. The part of that you, you, you described that well, the part I don't get is, you allow the home run to rock, the boss single to center, whatever. He walked Targic, I think that's that kid's name, on four pitches. I think he was the next hitter. I don't have this up in front of me right now. Mm-hmm. And what, there was a, there was not a, was that a double steal somewhere in there? Was it a ball that got away? I can't remember. But he gets behind 2 0 to Clanch or Clanch. I, I can't remember how to pronounce that kid's name. Clanch, yeah. 
it's a it's a swinging strike on 2-0. I could be misremembering the pitch, but I don't think that pitch was a strike. Then he throws a strike to get it to 2-2, and then it's ball-ball. And so if you're actually talking about decent pitches, you're talking four-pitch walk, and then five of the next six pitches after that. So you're talking nine of the next ten pitches aren't really that close. What, what advantage is it to not going to Nichols? Maybe Nichols isn't ready. I don't remember exactly when he got called in, but, like, can you make him ready? I just don't understand knowing what you had potentially on the line, I guess. I just don't understand allowing him to face that next hitter. And, look, this is not a Josh Mallett's Texas A&M or Josh Mallett's Mississippi State 2021 deal or the 20 – or walking whoever what the A&M deal last year it's not that egregious I just don't understand it no no I I didn't agree with the decision um you know Drew McDaniel shares some culpability and and that you know hey what what what's upsetting I guess from his standpoint is he gives up the homer right and and I'm not pissed off at the homer because like I said that happened but you've got to figure out a way at that point in the next three hitters to get off the field at five to five um, what is and, it? And unfortunately, what is it with him? Because he comes know. in and he gets the strikeout, and then he got ahead to no, he didn't get ahead to rock. There was one more in there, but there were a couple of moments where I was like, okay, actually, he's kind of fine. And then it's just not, I don't know if it's a put away pitch. What do you think it is with him? Um, I, I think some of it is he's a starter and he needs to start innings and start games, and he doesn't need to come up with messy bases and that type thing. Um, I think that's mainly it. I mean, I think the stuff's actually good enough. Um, and, and then yesterday, I think, gives up the homer. And, and, and I don't know. I, I'm not in his head. And I haven't talked to the kid. And I haven't talked to anybody about it. Um, but when, when it kind of goes that awry on you that quickly, it kind of just tells you that, that, that maybe the home run messed with him a little bit. Um, which, in, in complete fairness to the kid, if, if it's that obvious, um, he should have been pulled off the mound before he was able to give up the grand slam. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, look, this is. But that's not the most discouraging part for me. You're of, right, of because game. you know what happened after the seven-run inning. Nothing. Nothing happened. Yeah, that's what a great answer. Off. I thought you were going to say they didn't score. You're right. Nothing. That's just the great way to put it. That Nothing happened. I agree with you. That's the discouraging part. Now, to play, I'll set you up for this because I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Devil's advocate would be that Menifee is one of their better relievers. I thought he was pretty good, but I'm not defending not to scoring for the next five frames. Go ahead. Um, no, I mean, look, Menifee and, and Polish are, are fine. Um, they've seen better relievers. They've hit better relievers. This offense should not be shut down for five innings against relievers that are throwing in their second game of the weekend. Both throwing from the same warm slot. Just shouldn't happen. Um, and Ole Miss, frankly, it's not even like they really threatened. I mean, they, they didn't have chances to get back into it. They didn't have guys on base outside of one inning. Um, just, un just unfortunate because um, you'd seen over the past eight games leading up to that, hey, this team's going to – they're going to put pressure on you offensively no matter what. You know, no matter what the score is, even on, on Thursday night when it's 7 to nothing, they, they come back, make it 7-3, then they make it 7-5. Like, hey, they're in there. Um, and they were down 9-5 to five in the, what, bottom of the fourth? on uh, yeah four on Saturday and at no point did they put themselves in position to get back into that baseball game and and that was discouraging now look is it is it overreaching to say hey it's a big sign or a problem um 
you know, because of one game. No, no, no. It's just that, that it's baseball and it happens sometimes. But you'd kind of just gotten used to this team fighting through that and figuring out a way to come back. So it was kind of discouraging well, that it happened again. I'll, I'll underscore your point and play devil's advocate at the same time. I don't think it's overreaching to ask if this is a – I don't even know if larger issue. I would say if it's a regression or a reversion um, after one game because it's what we saw for two months in SEC play. And you said, rightly so, that you've gotten used to them kind of fighting and coming back. Well, you know, I get that this this sport's weird, but you, you say that. It's only two weeks of them doing that. And so to your point, I, I don't know. I, I Like, I don't think they've earned the right to say, yeah, that was just a bad game. They haven't reverted back to how crappy the offense looked for a large part, particularly in situations where it matters, and particularly situations with guys on base and where you really need to advance runners and score runs in important innings. I don't think they've earned that right yet. And so I think it's a completely fair question of what happened on Saturday is, eh, like, is this a bit of reversion? I tend to give them somewhat of the benefit of the doubt because of just their body language, the way they've hit for two weeks, and just their mindset and the way they've looked. But I don't think it's okay to – I don't think they've earned the benefit of just writing it off of – to Mike, as Mike says, that's baseball, and, you know, they had a bad day. I would file that away. And I think one of the things as we get into the Hoover part of this here in just a second, I think that's something to watch. What do you think? Um, yeah, no, if, if that happens again on Tuesday, um, no, it's, it's certainly concerning. Um, even if they are getting into the NCAA tournament, because if this team is getting into the NCAA tournament, I will tell you right now, um, they are not good enough to go dominate everybody. They will find themselves down four to one in the fourth inning of a baseball game or six to three or whatever. They will have to erase the deficit at some point. Um, they did that on Thursday, and, or excuse me, they did that on Friday, and they didn't do it on Saturday. Um, I guess the, the part on Saturday that was discouraging was that, look, AM didn't throw great arms at them on Friday. I think uh, Menfi and, and, and Polish are probably two of their. Two, two pretty decent arms um, that Ole Miss wasn't able to get after. And I think, frankly, um, they weren't able to get after Ty Floyd from LSU last week that they brought in after Mikael Hilliard in the, in the Friday game. They brought him in on the Saturday game. Um, no luck. They were able to have some success against, um, you know, some of the other lower-down LSU pitchers. But I think, I think what you have to wait and see is, like, hey, what does this offense do against, you know, pretty good SEC arms. Um, and, and I think we'll get that answer on Tuesday because I don't know if people know this, but um, – and, and we haven't seen an announced starter for Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt's starter did not pitch this past weekend. Or, excuse me, Vanderbilt's best pitcher did not pitch this past weekend. Um, I think it's a very real possibility that Ole Miss gets him on Tuesday. So, um, we'll get the answer to that pretty quickly. Yeah, you're right. And, look, it's it's – you know, you talk about the – you know, when I was sitting there thinking, remember on the Wednesday podcast when we talked about, like, the check boxes? When Ole Miss was down 7-3 or 7-4, whatever they made it, I was sitting there thinking, man, they haven't played well in this game. This is the Thursday game. If they can kind of come back, like, this is the last check box we talk about. And they didn't hit it, but they threatened. And you felt like Ole Miss was in that game basically until things went awry with the you know, John Gaddis deal in the ninth inning or whatever, but you felt like Ole Miss was in it and they had a chance and they were swinging it well enough to overtake and win that game. Sunday felt like Saturday and Sunday in Fayetteville or the game two and game three against South Carolina to where it's like, man, yep. like these guys aren't even really threatening. I mean, A&M faced one of two. The, after the seven-run inning, dude, 
A&M faced two over the minimum. I think only yeah, three guys on base, one of them was the double play. They faced two over the minimum to close out the game. And, again, is it a bad day? Maybe, but that's the kind of, like, non-competitive head-scratching parts where it's like, like what, what, what's up with that? Like, there's, there, there were so many bad performances for the first two from the offense for the first two months of the season to where it's not just like, oh, they had a tough night. It's like, what was that? That was kind of one of those what was that performances. And as they enter this postseason, because we'll get in – this is probably a decent lead-in. We'll probably – I think they're in. They're pitching. Look, the way this team was constructed, all these podcasts we've done, this entire season we followed, we've talked about the pitching's probably not going to be awesome. The offense will be good enough to supplement that. They just need the, deep, the pitching to be okay. DeLucia outing aside, Elliott struggling aside, the pitching has been set up to where it is plenty decent enough to where if this offense is what it's supposed to be, this team can be good and this team can make a run. Where they have no prayer is for that Saturday version of this offense to show up in the postseason. They are screwed if that's the case. And I think if you want to look at it in a terms of a black and white concrete way, I think that's as concrete as you can look at this team. The pitching is more than adequate. Mike has figured it out enough to be adequate. Can the offense be what it's supposed to be and kind of fuel them to a run? That's how I see this team going forward. Yeah, no, it's on the offense. It always has been and always will be. Um, however this season goes, they will, uh, they will be the, the downfall or the success of it. I mean, like I, I think the pitching – Look, I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were against A&M this week or next week. Um, I think the pitching will give them a chance. Will the offense take the chance or will they not? I don't really think it's much more complicated than that. It's a pretty simplistic game. Um, Ole Miss should be a really, really good offense. Sometimes they have been this year. A lot of the times they've not been. Um, they'll either seize the opportunity over the next few weeks or they won't. I mean, it's it's really not much more complicated than that. No, it really isn't. I mean, it's it's – as confusing as this team is, it really has. It's. I, I agree. If the offense is good in the postseason, I think the pitching will give them a chance to have a, to make a run and make it through a regional. Now, you know, could we sit here and eat crow in two weeks to where all the offense was pretty good through a regional, whatever they got in, the pitching just couldn't get out? I guess, but I doubt it because outside of two really elite offenses, this pitching staff for most of SEC play has been okay. Now, no, our, uh, Auburn wasn't great. Um, but really, after Auburn and Tennessee, after that, it's been fine. Like, what, what point in this year from SEC play on? Like, I know it had been bad in the non-conference slate, right? It wasn't – didn't seem sustainable against Auburn and then Tennessee really just embarrassed them. But at post-Tennessee, I'll put it to you that way, at what point since post-Tennessee have you been like, yeah, they don't have good enough pitching to win series? I haven't had that. Um, I don't know about you. State was kind of – Kind of rough after he, after Delusia, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, that's um, probably fair. But other than that, not not really. Right for the most part, it's been they've been good enough. So it's kind of on this offense now. And so that's before we end up here for three and a half hours tonight. Are they in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, today they are. I went through went looked through uh, Kendall and them's regional projections. Um, I think they had three for as far as three seeds go. Um, they released new projections on Sunday. There were 11 at-large three seeds, Ole Miss being one of them, sent to Stanford. Um, I kind of went through it and looked. I would put Ole Miss as the uh, fourth strongest three seed, which means in my mind they're the seventh team out from missing the tournament. 
Um, which means, quite frankly, there's gonna there would have to be upsets and teams going to run to put you out. Um, could that happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, is it likely? Probably not. So I, I do think it could get a little squirrely and a little hairy, and maybe you'd be a little nauseous if they lost on Tuesday. Um, but I think they're in outside of outside of a you know a lot of bid stealers or, or teams getting on hellacious runs, maybe in the CUSA or, or somewhere like that. Um, I think that this team has done enough to play postseason baseball. We'll see. Um, and things change throughout the week. But but I, I don't think – I will say this, and people will make this out to be what it is, and, and that's fine or whatever. I don't think a loss on Tuesday ends the season necessarily. So so those of you who, who think if Ole Miss is to lose an eight to seven ball game on Tuesday night, think, well, that's the season. I don't think that's necessarily the case. It could be. Um, but I think it would just be a wait and see at that point. But but I, I do believe that, that that they will be in the NCAA tournament regardless. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. And if I was a smarter podcast host than I am, when we talked about how to frame this and what would one more win do, what would two more wins do, and what we talked about going into this series, I thought one win pretty much cemented them. As you pointed out astutely, it's like, hey, yeah, probably, but like you don't want to necessarily leave it to that. Two would definitely do it. Getting that second win this weekend and their ability not to do that, that, the way I see it, basically bulletproofs you from bid stealers and kind of the crazy shit that happens the last week of the college baseball season in conference tournaments. That would have bulletproofed Ole Miss from that. To whereas now sure. I see them, they're probably in, but they are not completely immune should they lose on Tuesday to Vanderbilt. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm going – I'm assuming they lose. I'm just saying worst-case scenario – I don't think that bulletproofs them from that. And I think there is a strange world where they could look up on Sunday should they lose to Vanderbilt on Tuesday or on Monday and wonder how they didn't get in the tournament. Like, I think that's a scenario, but I would put that at a pretty small margin. I think they've done enough, um, but that's kind of the way I see it. I see that second win this weekend would have kind of bulletproofed them from bid stealers. And now it seems like they have another opportunity to do that, right? If you beat Vanderbilt, then – you know, there's nothing to talk about. And then it's just about, we can get into this in a second. This is a story I don't want to get to, just playing good baseball. But after that, like, that's kind of the way I see it. I think they're about probably in 75, 80%. I'd give them a chance. And, you know, it would have been 100 had they won on Saturday. Yeah, and it'll be 100 if they went on Tuesday. Um, I don't know. It's, it, I think that's where they're at. You, you, you went on Tuesday, you're 100% in. You don't have a whole hell of a lot to play for past that. Quite frankly, um, and I said this last week, I want them to win on Tuesday because I want them in the NCAA tournament because I think this team can make some noise in the NCAA tournament. But, man, I just want to see this team play baseball. Like, I, I want to see them play good baseball. And if they go out and lose a 5-3 game to Tennessee on Wednesday, so be it. If they lose a 6-4 you know, to four game on all, to Auburn on Thursday and get eliminated, so be it. It'll be all right. Um, but win on Tuesday because I just I, – I, I want to continue to watch this team play baseball. And – the more they play good baseball, the more they play quality baseball, the better off they'll be when they go to Hattiesburg or Stanford or Corvallis or Blacksburg or Charlotte School next week. It's a tremendous point. Um, you're right. I, I think that's the I – mean, we talked about this last week when I kind of framed it from the standpoint of, okay, what if they only win two this weekend? Like, what does that really matter? It matters from the standpoint of playing good baseball. I think so, too. I This team had been in such a funk from – really the Kentucky series all the way up to the Missouri series. And that's, in, that's, that's encompassing what three fourths 
might be even more than that of the SEC season. Like, I just kind of yeah. want them to see them play good baseball. I'm kind of the same thing. If they, I say I want them. If they are going to make a run, like, I think that's important for them to continue to play good baseball. So, like, I think that's beyond winning on Tuesday. I think that's an important piece of it as well from a sheer just number standpoint and RPI and all that, because you're way better at this than I am. What are we talking about today? Because I, I think I think it's funny. I, I think it's interesting to play devil's advocate and like why game, certain games end up mattering and which ones don't. What are we talking about today? Had they lost the Governor's Cup? What do you think? Ooh, ooh, uh, not pretty. Are we talking Let's about see. a must-win Tuesday, and then they're probably okay, yes. but you don't know anything, and you think, oh, it would be good to beat Tennessee. Um, let me actually look because you can kind of you can't exactly figure it out. But you can uh, you can have a decent guess. I mean, Mississippi State's 105th in the RPI. Yeah. Um, almost is 36 as of this second. The thing changes every five seconds, though. Somehow, I guess math changes. Um, let's see. So they are 36. If this would load, and they are two points ahead of Texas Tech. Had they lost that Governor's Cup game, I think they would probably be in the 40 to 40. One range, it would be a must-win on Tuesday, and you would probably be in, but there would be no discussion of if you lost, what happened. Did anyone think that would be the case when that game happened no. at Smart Park that Tuesday? Sure, sure, and, and you're right. But, I mean, quite frankly, had they lost one more SEC game anywhere, I mean, we're having the same discussion, I think. No, you're 100% right, but the devil's advocate of that is, man – if you want to talk about this team in the regular season, because I do think it's important to bring it up from this standpoint, this regular season, we talk about this team, they finished seven and two and good on them, right? Mm-hmm. To turn it around from seven mm-hmm. and 14 to seven and two and finish seven and two to get into the NCAA tournament. Good on them. You can't fault them for that. They didn't quit, but that doesn't change the fact that this regular season was a massive disappointment. Ole Miss went 14 oh, in SEC play with a nine and six road record. They were five in ten at home in SEC play. Abysmal. abysmal. That is abysmal. They were, well, they were they were one and eight against Alabama, Tennessee, and Mississippi State. That's unacceptable. Um, tying into that, did at any point you watch this weekend and think this might be last might be Anko's last home series? Because that that thought went through my mind on Saturday. Oh, that went through my – that's – yeah, no, absolutely. That definitely – I guess I can't say it went through my mind because I was sitting there thinking about a million different other things, but I, I, I'd almost accepted that at that point of, like, look at – I mean, look, this is a nice story that they've turned that around, and that's probably the best way to bring sure. all this full circle. This is well, a – Reality nice is still reality. Yeah, no, the reality is still reality. They have to make a run, otherwise there's going to be change at the top of the program. But we've never said anything different, right? Like, I think everyone knows this. And so that's what makes it such a complicated storyline and a complicated way to view this season is like, look, yeah, this is nice. Credit to them to getting in the tournament, but now they have to make a run. And if they don't, then there's going to be change at the top of the program by all accounts, I would assume. I'd be absolutely stunned if there's not. So that's definitely true. I guess I'm just pointing out from the standpoint was, I've said, how many times have I said this on this podcast this year? It didn't have to be this way, man. If you're, if you're, but they went nine and six on the road. So if you're eight and five, eight and seven, I'm just, I'm shit, man. I was going to go worse than that. 15, so that'd be seven and eight. 
You're that'd be sixteen. You're probably hosting. Yeah, if you go one game under five hundred in conference play on the road, like again, yeah, not half. But still, are, well, are we still having that conversation though? Or are we still saying, hey, if they don't rank Omaha, I wonder if they make a change at that point. No, we're like still I wonder if that conversation, conversation. But if they're sixteen and fourteen, we're not doubting them as much, and they're much better in much better oh, position. Great. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's certainly fair. But um, I think that's in, on the on the. I guess on the pro Ole Miss and the pro this team side of it, that's also what this season was all about. So, yeah, all of that was crap. Like the, the regular season was a huge disappointment. But all of this is about and all this boiled down to what they did in the postseason. And so, yes, they, they, they kind of laid a gigantic turd for two-thirds of the SEC regular season. But all that's going to end up meaning is playing on the road and having a harder path. Now, that's not insignificant. But what I'm saying is because they didn't bottom out and because they didn't go, you know, completely off the deep end and not even make Hoover or something like that, it is fixable and it's reasonably fixable. But now is the time they have to do it, you know? Yeah. No, it's completely fair. Uh, It starts on Tuesday at 430 in the SEC tournament. By the way, have you seen the weather in Hoover this week? No, is it bad? Oh, Godspeed getting all those games in. It, uh, they would probably do it, but it, that, that weather looks rough. Tornadoes and stuff Tuesday through Thursday. Have fun with that tournament, directors. Who pitches for Ole Miss on Tuesday? Uh, it's already been announced at Dylan Delusia. Oh, I didn't see it was announced. It was announced at Solution? It was, yeah, yeah okay. it will be Dylan Delusia on Tuesday. I would have guessed that. Anyway, uh, who pitches for Vanderbilt? Uh, Carter Helton. Um, so Helton had been their Sunday guy, but he had actually been uh, their best pitcher. They had thrown him on Sunday. He did not pitch this weekend, um, so they were getting him rest. I don't know this, have no in, uh, insight on this, but I would just suspect that um, if you don't throw one of your weekend guys, um, he gets the ball in the first game of the SEC tournament, and, and so that's who I'd expect them to go to, but we'll see. Uh, it's not great. I mean, he's got a four SEC ERA. I mean, it's, it's totally hittable, but he's Vanderbilt's best option. Why do you think he didn't pitch? Uh, Tim Corbin said it was for rest. They wanted to give him some rest. He's a freshman that uh, had pitched every SEC weekend, and they wanted to wanted to get him some rest going into the postseason. What do you do? You read anything else into that? A little bit. Um, maybe that they didn't announce it until this weekend, and you know the 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 guy that they had maybe thought was going to start in his place through five innings on Tuesday instead of them holding him. Um, for Saturday, and, you know, um, so maybe he doesn't start. We'll see. I, I think that'll be interesting. If if he doesn't start, I would I would suspect there may be a little bit more to it than just rest. Yeah, because, I mean, I get Vanderbilt probably didn't have a ton to play for in that last game, but that just – They had everything wild. to play for, though. Why? They, they had a – I mean, they're a fifth team in RPI. They, they could have hosted. Yeah, I guess that's true, 15 and 15 with a five RPI. I was about to ask you that next. What do you make of Vanderbilt being – 14 and 16 with a five RPI. I mean, they were a win away. If they didn't get swept this weekend, they would have gone in this tournament um, hosting. Um, yeah, no, it's – look, they played a really good non-conference schedule and good on them. But um, tough tough to do to go 14 and 16 with a five RPI. Yeah, that, that really is tough to do. So Ole Miss is the nine seed, just to lay out the bracket. So here, what we have here is we have the 11-6. That's the 10-30 game. That's Georgia the sixth. Alabama, the uh, Alabama is the eleven. Uh, we'll just go through it real quick because we're not going to record again until after the Tuesday. 
uh, game. What do you uh, what do you make of this one? We'll just go through it. Alabama twelve and seventeen. My God, what a fall from grace! What that's the uh, that's the first game at nine thirty. Yeah, that's nine thirty. I'm reading all these in Eastern time. What? Is, I mean, Georgia kind of limped to the finish line too. Georgia's probably not hosting. Eh, no, no, probably not. I don't know. Five, 15, no. 15 to the twelve, they probably are. I don't know. I, I don't. Uh, I don't. I think they'd have to win a few games in Hoover. Um, you know what Georgia did this weekend, right? They dropped. They dropped the first two at home to Missouri and were down ten to seven at the eighth inning and had to come back to win. Yikes! That's a. That's a. Can you imagine Ole Miss's message boards if they only had to win like two games against Missouri at home to host? They pulled that number. That's not what you want. <laughs> um. No, but uh, credit to Alabama. They they get two against Arkansas this weekend, uh, fighting. Uh, they came into the SEC tournament with 12 wins last year and, and they figured out a way to get in. Um, I think it's going to take probably three three wins or so for them to get in, but definitely have a shot. I'm actually going to pick Alabama to win that game. Don't know why, but but I think I am going to pick Alabama to win. Can't fake desperation. I'm with you on that one. Uh, Florida and South Carolina is the 10-7. South Carolina is Florida. And 17. No, I think Florida wins that game, but I'm just curious what you think about these teams. Outlook Florida all of a sudden finishes at 15 and 15. They are at 24 in the RPI. They're, are they in? I think they're in the range of like, hey, if we can go on a run, we might can host. Yeah, they're in that Ole Miss 19 range where yeah, if they win three or four, yeah. Right in that sweet spot, but good on them for turning around. They're playing good baseball. South Carolina, 13 and 17, they probably have to win two to get in. Uh, I would say with their RPI, their RPI is in the 60s. So, so uh, they're 67. Three or four. Yeah, you're thinking yeah. three. Yeah, because that RPI, I mean, you're going to have to get that RPI into the 40s to at least have the conversation. Kentucky gets in. Auburn uh, is the 12. That's the late game on Tuesday. Um, I think Auburn wins that game. Good on Kentucky for getting in. Auburn probably so, host. Yeah, probably a host can uh, play their way in the national seed. Kind of weird, right? Um, Florida and South Carolina play the 1 o'clock game. They actually played the last weekend of the year. Same with Auburn and Kentucky. Uh, they played the last weekend of the year. Um, I think Auburn, because I think Butch takes that tournament pretty seriously. Um, and so, I, I think Auburn wins that game. Uh, that's the late game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it is. What do you make of LSU going on there sweet Vanny? LSU's hosting now, for sure. Um, I did not um, have that comp. You don't you know, Kendall and them actually didn't have them as a host. RPI is still in the 20s. Man, 17 and 13? 16. Yeah, 17 and 13. Um, they win a game or two, they'll host. I think Kendall and them said they had them as the number 17 seed. So, um, definitely a chance to do some work in the tournament and get that up. Um, so they'll actually get the winner of Auburn and Kentucky. They'll, uh, they're probably rooting pretty hard for Auburn because that RPI, Auburn's got a really good RPI. That would definitely help them. Man, I missed that. I, I, I was kind of checked out this weekend. That was a huge result. Those were two teams playing for a host, and Vanderbilt just kind of got – Laid an egg, yeah. Um, it was a good They was, lost 13-2, 8-3, um, So, actually, the third game, here's a fun fact. They were up like 9-5 to five in the eighth inning. Vanderbilt was. They only have 11 points. They, they probably ran out of pitching. That's true. That's true. And actually, they I don't know if you heard, they operate on actually less than 11.7. They operate on like four. What a shame. What an absolute shame. I was going to so, go around so, the So, are we picking the – Yeah, go ahead. picking the Ole Miss-Vandy game? I'll let you go first. I think Ole Miss wins. I do too. 
Um, They've been good way I, more times than not with Dylan Delish on the mound. They have. And, frankly, they've been good in Hoover for a while now. So, um, I think they'll win. And, and now, I think they lose on Thursday. Excuse me. I think they lose on Wednesday. Maybe we went on Thursday and then lose again on Friday. I think they're home Friday afternoon. But I do think they went on Tuesday. Do you think there is any – so, say Ole Miss wins on Tuesday. And you know this stuff better. No. What? Are you going to ask if there's anything they can do to host? Oh, hell no. No, no, no. 14, 16. No, no. <laughs> I'm not that nuts. What I was going to ask you was, do you think it matters at all after that in terms of whether they're a two, whether they're a three, um, and winning after that? Do you think there's much benefit? To so, anything? All right. I'll, I'll put it like this. Yeah, I actually do. Um, a lot of people say, um, and it's it's not an unfair argument that, hey, it doesn't matter if you, you're a two seed or a three seed. My argument to that is like, hey, if I'm – in the NCAA basketball tournament, would you rather be a five seed or a seven seed? I'd rather be a five seed, and I get it. Twelve five upsets happen all the time. Um, I would rather play the worst team, if that makes sense. Like I'd rather be the two seed and play yeah. the worst team that, than play than be the three seed and play a better team and a, a two seed. Obviously, it matters um, if your regional. If you win your regional, uh, the regional across from you, the the, the host loses. Um, no, I think that matters, and, and I think you want to give the committee every reason, quite frankly, if I'm being honest. You want to give the committee every reason to send you to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, um, instead of Stanford, California, or Corvallis, Oregon. Um, give them every reason to send you to Southern Miss and, and go take your best shot down there. I, I do think it matters, I will say that. Um, it's, not, it's not as far as getting in the tournament, but as far as improving your seed line and maybe improving your destination, I, I do think it matters. If I'm an Ole Miss fan this week, and I know this will be hard for some, um, assuming Ole Miss is getting in the tournament, I would really, really root for LSU. So that way they can't put LSU on a bus to Southern Miss and makes Ole Miss kind of the only bussable team to Southern Miss, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't thought about it like that. That's a, uh, I hadn't thought about that part of it. That's a, uh, that's a really good point. Um, outside of that, though, and this goes back to the intangible, and we'll probably wrap up with this. I have a couple random notes that I think you'll enjoy to hit as we close this. But um, – Outside of that is, you know, Ole Miss win, really, really submit your bid um, on Tuesday. And as we outlined, it isn't just about playing good baseball. You saw this team win seven in a row. You saw this team lose two out of three to end the season, or they very could have easily won two out of three. They played that crap for two innings in the Thursday game, but I thought they were decently op- decent offensively. Obviously, they win the second game. And the third game was kind of alarming and re- looked more like the team we'd seen for the previous two months. Like, if you do win on Tuesday, there's not much else you can accomplish in Hoover outside of the minor seating things that you outlined. Isn't it just important that they kind of continue to play good baseball? Like, yep. this team, I would just like to continue to see them look confident. Less like the Saturday game against A&M and more like what they had looked like for the 10 games prior to that. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to see what it looks like when they can take a breath and say, hey, all right, we're in, we're good. Um, I think that'll be big for them, too. Um, no, it's, it's like we've said, I want to see them play good baseball. I'd like, and, and, you know, maybe I'm just weird. I like watching Ole Miss play baseball. So I'm not opposed to them staying over there for a while. I don't, a lot of people buy into the, Oh, what, what you do in Hoover matters or what you do in Hoover doesn't matter. I just, just go play, see what happens. I, I don't know. And, and that's my favorite thing is like, um, when people talk about guys not taking the SEC tournament seriously, like bull crap, they, they all are playing. Now look, coaches may make decisions differently. Um, you know, if they've already locked up hosting or national seeds or whatever. But the guys on the field play hard. Um, it's not like they're meddling with it. I promise you, 
Um, Ole Miss would much rather be in Hoover, Alabama, playing baseball than back in Oxford, Mississippi, practicing. Oh, yeah, um, you're right about that. And it's that time of year, and I think this is an underrated piece of it. And honestly, it coincided with Ole Miss's run, and so I don't know if that had anything to do with that. But school's done. These guys are just baseball players now. And I feel like yeah. clearly that happens with two, three weeks left to go in the regular season. But I don't know why. To, to me, from covering some of those teams and being over there, Hoover is always like the signifying part of like, hey, summer started, all of this baseball now matters. You don't have school or anything. Like, let the boys play type of thing, if that makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. That to me, I know it happens two weeks earlier, um, but that to me kind of like is like the kickoff party of like, hey, it's all baseball now. Sure. This sport's kind of in a race to the finish line. You got nothing else to worry about. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, but, no, I, I just want to see them go play good baseball. Um, I'll say it like this. I've never heard of a team, and maybe I'm crazy, um, in the SEC basketball tournament that's already clinched a bit or whatever. Like, you take Auburn this year or Tennessee or whoever won it. I can't exactly remember. Um, they still wanted to win the SEC basketball tournament. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, um, so, just look. You're, you know, look, do I think Ole Miss has the pitching to win this? I don't. Um, I think you're going to get Chase Dolander on Wednesday if you win, and, and good luck with that. Um, but, you know, I just want to see them play baseball, and, and quite frankly, they're playing well more than they're not right now, so it would be nice to continue to see them play good baseball. Yep, I think that's well said. I don't know what else we can do, but I, I kind of analyze from that point. I think Ole Miss is in. I think they will absolutely set that in stone um, if they win on Tuesday, and we'll kind of see. It'll be a fair test, right? Um, particularly. If you get who you think you're getting from Vanderbilt, you got Dylan Delusion on the mound. The best version of Ole Miss is coming with Delusion on the mound. Win more game, one more game, submit your bid, and just kind of see where it goes from there. Um, and I'm fascinated by that. You know, there's reason to believe that this team's different, right? That that you know, the bottom of the lineup's hitting, right? Shadney and Dunhurst have now been good for two and a half weeks now. I don't have the mm-hmm. immediate number. McCants was better this week. Yes, he too. was. And it started it started to turn around, but you could see, you could sense, you could plant, you could. I say plant the seeds. You could sense kind of like the seed being planted there last week, right? Because he hit a couple of balls hard at LSU and kind of had some poor luck. And he had one or two bats, particularly in that last game, that weren't great. But you could kind of see that coming on. And so he's really – I mean, you, you go down this lineup the last three weeks as a totality, not just the Saturday game against A&M. He's really the only hole left, right? Because – Shotney yep. and Dunhurst have been good for over two weeks now. Does that mean it's going to stay that way? No, but just the current version of them, the last 10 days as a sample size or 10 games, he's kind of the only hole, isn't it? I mean, Kim Alderman's on yep. one. Everyone else has been pretty good, and Kevin Graham back has kind of been a godsend. Yeah, no, I mean, it's McCants is the only one that if they get him to turn around, the offense is going from what the hell to what the hell. This team's pretty good. <laughs> um uh, yeah, no, it'd be nice if he continues to swing it like he has for sure. Well, uh, if he if he continues to kind of find it, I'm not going to say he swung it overly well, but there were a lot better signs this week than there has been the past few weeks. Last thing I have for you, would you like to comment on Thursday's 27-2 to 2 win by the Volunteers who finished 25-5? and 5? I, So I checked that score at 11 to nothing, and I'm like, okay, well, this is over. I don't have to look at it anymore. And then I saw the final. I'm like, oh, my God. Um. I'll ask this, and, and I think you follow college baseball enough to answer it because I'll be honest, I was more checked out nationally. I, I was pretty involved in, in, you know, invested in Ole Miss, but nationally I was probably checked out as I've ever been for a multitude of reasons. Um, I know they had a lot of injuries, but at some point, like, 9-21 is a problem, right? Like, I, I get it. You won the national title. You shouldn't fire anybody. I'm not saying that. 
like it, it, it that goes deeper than just injuries, right? I mean, their only win since leaving Oxford was North Alabama. Yeah. They they didn't um, win another game. Like that 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 was I, I'm I'm with you. Look, I think Lamonis – actually, I don't know if Lamonis is a good coach or not, honestly. We'll, we'll Good coach. He won a national title. I don't know if Lamonis is yeah. kind of like the elite coach for that job type of thing. I don't know that yet. I think he's a good coach, obviously. Um, but, no, I do think it goes deeper than that, man. Like, they had some injuries, but not to that point. What did they finish, 9-21? and 21? Yeah, 9-21. That's, that's not just – and, look, maybe it's – some missed evals and you know the fact that they had Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan and those guys covered up for it last year and you thought you had more like more coming back than you did was uh maybe that's the case because I do think I mean look I've I've read some of the state guys that I follow or whatever and know I, I think there's it's very clear that there were some missed evals and there's some guys that they maybe thought could be good SEC players and just can't and aren't and so I think there will be a lot of turnover I mean this Coming year was supposed to be their rebuild. Now, as you see with the portal, a la A&M, a la a couple other schools, the idea of a rebuild is probably a little bit outdated at this point. I think you can fix your circumstance in the portal if you really want to. Auburn, another good one, right? So I think they can mm-hmm. change it, and it's kind of up to Lamonis to, uh, to do that. But, no, I don't think it was just on injuries. I, I, I think that disclosed some talent evaluation issues and, honest to God, some – When's the last time you know a state team to kind of roll over, to be honest? Like, you know what I mean? That I don't want to say character. I don't yeah. know those kids, and I don't cover that team. But, like, some mindset issues. I, I was dumbfounded by the way they finished the season, to be honest. I didn't know if they'd make the tournament. I didn't know if they'd be any good. But if you'd have told me they left Oxford, like, hey, they're not winning another game, I'd be like, oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, no, they actually looked pretty decent that weekend in Oxford. Um, do you have any opinions on on uh, Little Napoleon and Tuscaloosa running his mouth about Jimbo the uh, Jimbo Fisher at A and M? Got any you know, opinions? Just get those out. I haven't had any of those yet. So, um, <laughs> I I'm trying to think about the way to order this. One, I do not think a coach who reports Ross Bjork. I do not believe it's a coincidence that he's had multiple cringe, cringeworthy press conferences in the last six to nine months. <laughs> I. Uh, I do not think that is just a complete one-off and a complete doesn't have any relation to each other. One, I think Saban is voicing a rightful complaint, but it's coming from the wrong messenger. You can't dominate football for over a decade and a half and feast on the fact that there's no parity and a complete indisparity of resources in the sport and then be the guy and go, well, this isn't fair. They have more resources than we do. It's like, dude, can, can you let someone else do that? But I do think he voices a concern that other coaches have about, I don't even think the coaches really actually, I think it, look, I think Saban it went deep down. He probably doesn't love it that he probably knows that A&M has deeper pockets than even Alabama does. But I think it's more so about the lack of regulation and the lack of control. You know what I mean? I don't think he's coming at it from the most like noble standpoint, but I do think he voices a valid gripe in the sense of like, Hey, what are we doing here? Like pro sports have a salary gap. Pro sports have a free agency window. We just have this all the time. Like what the hell is this? I think that part's valid. I think it's the wrong messenger. And I think calling out A&M was honestly hilarious. And I think the last thing I'll say about it before I turn it over to you, 
I think the other part of it is, and this is probably good news for SEC fans, I think his willingness to call another coach out by name is his fed up with the ecosystem, and he's 70-something years old. And five years ago, it may be 10 years away from retiring. I think it may be two now. Thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I think that's perfectly said. I, I don't think anybody wants to hear about Nick Saban complaining uh, about the landscape of college football. Um, I don't really want to hear Nick Saban talking about parity. I don't really want Nick Saban to talk about things that aren't fair. Um, look, did A&M essentially buy every guy in that class? Probably. Um, legally. I, I think that's the part that gets lost of, of what Saban said. I don't think he was accusing them of doing anything illegal. I don't think he was questioning their dignity or their morality. Um, he was just saying they bought them because that's legal now. Um, and, and, you know, I get it. The state laws are what they are, but there, there's ways to work around that. Um, no, but I, I had little issue. Is it weird to say I had little issue with what Saban said? And I had kind of little issue with what Jimbo said. Um, I just kind of thought it was funny. Uh, I'm interested to see the handshake. I'm interested to see two things. Uh, the handshake after Alabama wins and the line, because if the line is less than about 20, uh, your boy's going to Tunica. <laughs> I love to hear that. I like where your head's at. No, I'm with you. You talk about not having issue with it. You know what I had the most issue with? The public reprimand. And did you see that it's Kiffin? So soft. Gonna, yeah, did you see that Kiffin was going to go on Dan Patrick? And, you know, he likes those guys over there. And he told him not to? I was about to say, you know, Kiffin had to be uh, – you know it was probably a stern reprimand if Lane Kiffin, of all people, told one of the Dan Patrick producers, like, hey, I, I can't say he told me I can't come on. I can't do this. Yeah, like, wh what is that? Like, it's it, – you. what do you say? Uh, it, it was intriguing. It's great theater. It's honestly hilarious. Who cares if they jaw at each other? Like, in this sport that makes a gajillion dollars off the backs of mostly unpaid labor, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll put it to you this way, in a crude way. Dana White would have had a boner if this happened in his sport. He would have had a press conference and got them two in the same room at the same time. Like, this is amazing. But the SEC – can, can, can we get Nick and Jimbo with their shirts off, like staring each other down? With Joe Rogan in the middle? Like, oh, God, yeah. where are we weighing in that? No, I love this idea. But, like, it's, it's great drama and it's great theater. And to completely, be, like, put a gag order on any other coach from speaking about it is just nonsense. And I guess it's just the way they think about it from like, oh, well, we operate the right way. Well, like, well what is the right way, man? Like, what, what does that actually mean? And then the last thing I'll say on the A&M part of it is, yeah, I don't know if it's illegal. I don't know if it's not legal. I don't really care. It doesn't seem like there's such thing as legal and illegal anymore. I will put it to you this way. I'm not the most connected guy, particularly not anymore in terms of talking to people who work in college football. But the people I do know that still work in that industry multiple times, from every person I talked to throughout the year, it was like, did you see what A&M's doing? I mean, do they, have a, like, do they have a salary cap? Do they have a bankroll? What's going on here? Multiple recruiting guys that work in that industry said that, and I'm talking October, September of last year before that happened. And then for Kiffin to go on record and joke about there being a luxury tax, you know it's true, right? There's no doubting that yeah. $4 million number that's being floated out there, right? Like, that happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely happened. They're, they're going to have regulation on this by the end of the year, though, I'm sure. Yep. I'm just fascinated to see how it comes. So, I appreciate the time, dude. This has been Colin Brister. It is uh, – I can't believe it's the end – actually, I can at this point. It is the regular season. <laughs> this season felt like a marathon. I appreciate it. As always, man, this is another fun one. We're only the beginning, though. We got the postseason. We'll talk to you, I don't know, sometime midweek. We'll see how the schedule goes. But I appreciate the time, as always, my man.
All right. Sounds good, bud. All right. That is our show. If you made it to the end, I really appreciate you making us a part of your day. Always love the feedback from the podcast throughout the year, interacting with you guys. Been a fun season. Not over yet. We still got more to uh, more to discuss, more baseball to watch together. As uh, That's kind of what I feel like this podcast is. All of us just watching together and then uh, hopping on a mic and talking about it uh, afterwards. So appreciate you guys as always. Feedback is great. And uh, we'll have something for you midweek, probably pretty baseball centric. I think we're going to be a lot of baseball as we hit the home stretch of this uh postseason for uh, Ole Miss but uh, we'll be back uh, in the midweek and then kind of see where the schedule goes based on you know how Ole Miss does in Hoover and all that y'all have a great start to your week whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.